This is a sonic scrapbook, a passport to Rome, following a pull to tune into the pulse of place, to get closer to the ground, befriending strangers along the way. I'm Petra Barron, and this is Low Lines. Episode one, second line, footwork in New Orleans. Come on with me. When I think of tuning into the pulse of a place, I always think of New Orleans. It's the most human city I know. And over the years, it's drawn me back again and again and again. This is the place where I feel released from my head and more fully in my body. And for me, the second line is the pulse of New Orleans the source and energy of what gives the whole city that unmistakable feeling. The second line, it's a rolling block party. It's a neighborhood parade. It's an incredible expression of New Orleanian blackness dancing through the streets every Sunday with a freedom and a charge courses right through everything in its path. You just do whatever you want. Like the record say, do what you want, do whatever you want. Today I'm back at the second line, pounding along the streets to the Truth Brass Band, getting hot and sweaty and charged. And I'm feeling that feeling with everyone dancing and messing up this below sea level streets. Some people talk about how the air is thicker here and the light's got currents in it and the ground's bouncy. It is kind of bouncy. You can feel it. And that sweet, humid smell reminding you of what this place is and its bones. This swampland. It's hard to think of a city less like London, with its hard lines and its controlled edges, increasingly designed to be moved through with speed and efficiency, 
other people just objects to get around, try not to touch. It's a hell of a culture, I'm telling you. You got to just get out in for yourself. I mean, I can't explain, you know, because there's all types of stuff going on. are the opposite of frictionless. There's friction everywhere. It's in all your senses in the best way possible. And it's just on you. And its currents are powerful. Currents of energy, of the past, of this life, and a compounding of music and connections between people. There's currency. And it's not money currency, it's about people bending the city into a new kind of shape through that footwork. You don't have to practice, just come out here and feel the vibe. If you feel the vibe, you're gonna kick a beat. You're gonna move a beat, gonna move your feet, whatever, you heard? Hitting those streets every week, the way the feet connect to the street in so many intricate ways. Everyone dancing, second line style. It's inimitable. If you ain't got footwork, you ain't move. That's why you gotta have the footwork. But it, get your beat of the music in one tune, and that's what you move. Stamping out those patterns on the pavement. If it wasn't so swampy, I swear there'd be sparks flying. Footwork is just moving your feet to the beat. Fast, slow, keeping up with the tempo. Just moving. Get, get it ready. When you got the footwork, you just do what you want. There's an incredible dancer at the second line, Jared DeGroy, whose footwork is mesmerizing and who I know is really tuned into her roots here. I feel like having a conversation with her could provide some real insight, not just on the magnetism and the pull of New Orleans, but also the way we relate to a place when we are truly of it and part of it. So I drove over to Jared's grandma's house in the seventh ward and there was Jared on the porch painting jeans with all these beautiful images of indigenous Louisiana. She took me to the back of the house and we sat down in this quiet room surrounded by loads of family pictures going back generations. Just because it's like, if it wasn't jazz festival, I think I would go I've been going to Second Lines for years and um, everyone's got their different way of moving and their different style, but you've got a really specific, beautiful, really light, lovely light style and and so I wanted to talk to you about that because second lines are about so many different things but you know the most obvious is dancing and using your body. People who come and they dancing and getting into the music and it's super silly and I'm not no party pooper I don't judge nobody for having fun if you feeling that music you feeling that music However, there also needs to be attention paid to these rhythms and these dances are cultural. 
is not just a matter of recreation and fun. And on top of all that, we also are aware of the significance of the dancing. Whether people are doing it consciously or not, the roots of it, we dancing for the dead. We dancing for the dead. And so when you have a whole bunch of other people who come to them, it's just, oh, trombones, brass music, look at the black people jumping around and dancing. Oh, it's so fascinating and it's so fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it is fun and it is nice. But for us, it is different. It carries a different type of weight. It's a release of everything that you're dealing with as a black New Orleans person. We used to go to Congo Square on Sundays, our ancestors, and so they danced. It was the one day where they were able to dance, where they were allowed to practice their ancestral dances and stuff. New Orleans was the only place where the snare drum was allowed to stay because in Africa the drums was communication. It was powers and spiritual from them drums. And so on Sundays, that was the one day where we could play that and we could practice those ancestral dances. And so then that combined with, you know, when people would die, you'd have the funeral processions and the second line is, is it's the second part of the funeral procession after the casket. As we know them today, it comes from the social aid and pleasure clubs, which were founded as ways to fundraise for the black communities, to fundraise for different things. And they were high brass bands, you know, and people come out. And it's very integrated now, but back in the day, like, if you was from downtown, you was not going to no uptown second line. When I dance, I feel hope. I see that footwork from them indigenous people. I've looked at videos of them people at them powwows, them plains tribes and stuff, and how they dance to them chants, you know? And then you look at videos of people from the Caribbean, you look at videos of people from West Africa, and you see, wow, I've never been to any of these places, but I'm doing the same movements very naturally, very fluidly. When I'm dancing and I see myself, I don't have no kind of body dysphoria. I don't have nothing like that. You know, I feel beautiful and I feel sensual, but not in a way that's like sexual. We all come down to rhythm. I tell people all the time, like they be so intimidated by it, but if you have rhythm, you can pretty much do any sort of like foot-based dance like that. It's very mathematical to me. Like when I look at videos of myself dancing and I look at how my feet move and I look at the angles that they move in, like I see the shapes. What those different numbers add up to and like what kind of frequencies they putting out into the world. Footwork feels so skillful when I do it because I'm like, I can't believe my body is doing this. I can't believe my feet know how to do this because I didn't always know how. I mean, maybe subconsciously, ancestrally I did. But when I got it in me to decide, like, I want to be like my mama and I want to be at the second lines and I want to really do it, do it. I had to practice. Footwork, second lining, aided me in just overcoming fear. It helped me to be free in the movement of my body. It helped me align with my body. It helped me 
align with things like my femininity and my gender identity. And, you know, it helped me overcome even things with like imposter syndrome, being a Katrina baby and stuff, being removed, you kind of have that feeling of, do I actually belong? You know, am I actually entitled to these things? It's something that's in you, you born with that. It's something that is granted, it's a power. If everything in this city, we lose our physical hold on it, we're gonna have that footwork and we're gonna be able to stand in that cockiness, you know, of this is something that you cannot have. The way I see it is it's currency. And at the second line, if you've got footwork, you've got currency. And you can say, oh, you can just jump up and down, hop, whatever, all you like. But at the end of the day, it's the people that are really connecting with the ground, but with their bodies and really free in their bodies to the beat, catching the beat that they've got the currency, they've got the capital. You can't buy that. You could have the richest, financially richest person in the world there. And if they're stumbling around, they've got no currency in that space. And that's what I love observing, you know, like how currency operates, social capital, right, so don't, cultural don't, capital. When you start dancing, it don't matter what you look like. It don't matter what you're wearing. It don't matter none of that. It literally only matters is feet, you know? Like the eyes are on your feet. A lot of dances are body-centered. And even though Second Line and do involve the body, the energy is all on that lower part. And for it to just be like, you look at who we are in the history of the commodification of our bodies, sexually, you know, labor-wise, all that. And you look at something, just like you're saying, like that sort of currency. Yes, it is our own communal currency, but it ain't about buying and purchasing, you know? It's not even about gaining anything. It's just life. It's just being outside and being around. And at the most, if you want to say it, what it brings, it might bring you sort of the the uplift from your own people. You get the smiles and you get the genuineness in people's eyes and you get the truth of affection, true affection. You know, and this is a small city, so a lot of us, even if we're not related, we relate. So you have that energy of like, I imagine it, like when you got a second line, you around people you always been around. You're around, you know, people who have known you across your lifetimes. You know, I go all over the place and I lived here. I moved to New Orleans because of that feeling that everyone falls in love with. And when I talk to other people and I say, oh yeah, I lived in New Orleans or I went to New Orleans or anything about New Orleans, even if they've never been there, their eyes light up and people go, oh my God, it sounds so amazing, it sounds so amazing. And I say, yeah, there's a lot of light, but there's a lot of dark there and you need to start understanding where the light comes from. There is history of this land that goes far back beyond Bienville and Iberville coming and saying, oh, we're going to call this New Orleans. The land had a name, it was Bobancha, which means land of many tongues. This didn't become a port just because the French came and said, oh, we're gonna make this port. It was already a port city. This was 
a place of congregation for many, many ethnicities, hence the name Land of Many Tongues. You know, we part of the United States, but we almost like a colony than we are like maybe other parts of the states. The water from the Gulf is rising, eating up the coast. We deal with things here, a whole bunch of stuff. I don't understand, honestly, how anybody could come and sort of like just be so so oblivious, so like kind of willfully ignorant to the realities of what's going on. And I know that like our human brains and the things we deal with, I guess they only can take on so much trauma, so much drama. But for us, I guess it's like we're living in it. We are it, so we can't ignore it. And then when you see other people that are able to come and they're able to not only indulge in the resources, but capitalize off the resources, capitalize off of our knowledge, capitalize off of our skill sets. And we struggle when a hurricane comes. We struggle just to get out the city from a hurricane, let alone all the stuff that comes after. And even then, after all that, after all we deal with, we still manage to make the second lines of stuff happen. We still manage to show up. We still manage to dance, to use our bodies, to practice these things, to persist. And it's very surreal living on this land. You have that awareness of like, I am more than what your history says and I know that my bloodlines is deep. I know that my bloodlines are here even before y'all enslaved me on my own land. You know, they say that the number one thing to feel a sense of well-being in the place that you live is to be able to greet a stranger and have the stranger greet you back. It's as simple as that. And that doesn't happen in that many places anymore. It happens here. And, you know, the saying they talk about, I think, therefore I am. It's very sort of capitalist. I think, therefore I am. And it's all up in the head. Whereas in West Africa, the saying is, I participate therefore I am and that feels like what this city is rich with and what a lot of people who don't come up with that way of being connect to when they're here and they miss it like they grieve it they don't they don't have it and they they want to have it but they don't know how to have it other than to come and spectate and extract right and a big problem comes with and that's just colonialism in general people wanting to go and occupy space, land. But it's like, you don't know how to take care of the land that you want to occupy. You want to be here. But when we talk about spirits and we talk about our ancestors and we talk about the trees and the animals being more than just tools for your building, we're not asking you. We're just telling you, like, this is our reality. And it's just that, you know? And so... When it comes to being here, you look at a land like this and you look at how fragile it is. You look at how it can be so topsy-turvy. 
You look at how we as black people, indigenous people, have been treated, are treated, et cetera, et cetera, but this land can literally not exist without us. Like here, the basis of the swamp ecosystem is the crawfish. It's largely overlooked, but it's extremely important for a swamp ecosystem. You take that away, everything crumbles. With us, it's no different. And humans have this thing of, or maybe it's a Western thing, of detaching yourself from nature. But with us and the way our bodies function in these spaces, we are the nature. We are as important as the trees, as the birds, as everything. What you don't understand is that if the weather comes, if we all gone, our bodies is all gone, these trees have no reason to protect you anymore. These animals have no reason to communicate with the earth on your behalf anymore. There's no reason to keep the water from coming. There's no reason to keep the soil from sinking in and everything just turning to dust. And what you're left with is essentially a big old space that you think you own because you bought it with your money. My thing that I'm always thinking about is, what is the actual plan? Like, what are you actually going to do? I guess that's part of the nature of that sort of sickness that capitalism is. It's a poison. It's toxic. You don't move with sense. It renders you nonsensical. You know, like you you lose the ability to think with clarity. So you don't process that, oh, if I go to a place and eradicate the indigenous people. Or you think you're thinking because you're using your brain and you're using rationality right. and you're using reason and you're using efficiency, but you're not thinking with your whole being. There's so much attention given to up here in the head and no attention given to intuition and the body and feeling and vibrations. And, and, all and of we're trained not to trust any of those things. Yeah. You know, not to trust intuition, not to trust feeling, not yeah. to trust none of that. The brain is everything and the body is just a vehicle to carry the head around with. It's like a disassociation. Yeah. And so, and it's funny because I sometimes am wondering, do I have disassociation problems? I feel like I disassociate from the capitalistic stuff. And when I ground myself in what's natural to me, it's like, okay, this feels right. But everything around me is saying that, like, this is wrong. But it doesn't feel wrong. Like, things are adding up in my life. The more I settle into sort of, like, that indigenous lifestyle, people look at me like I'm crazy all the time. I don't drive. I refuse to drive. I walk everywhere. And when I tell people, like, the distances that I walk, I walk from here all the way uptown and back. And when I walk, I find that I get everywhere right when I'm supposed to get there. My days float. I am dealing with the real, real reality, as many people are, of our ancestors built this thing up. And you think about all that's been overcome, you think about all the changing and the healing and the growing and the rising, but then we still having very, very real, tangible concerns about it's still so easy to just be knocked to the side if somebody just decided. And even though I want to be gung-ho activist and I want to fight for everything, I also want to be happy. 
And so there's this sort of teeter-totter that's like, I'm going to hold on for as long as I can hold on. Because if I get to choose, I would die for this place. You know, I would put my life on the line to preserve this land. I know that the trees I'm walking past, I know that the waterways I'm walking past, I know that the birds I'm seeing, I know that they all know me from long, long time. And so the energy of leaving comes down to like, well, why should I give up my placement here? And people can be so tone deaf. Y'all know y'all a sinking city. Y'all gonna sink is this, this, and this, and this. And people don't understand why we're like so stubborn in it. You look at all the people when hurricanes and stuff come and they like, we not going. Because the trauma from being displaced by storms like Katrina, it's one thing to leave home by choice. It's another thing altogether to be removed from your home because you you don't have no choice. You get this place, whether it be by nature, genocide, slavery. For us, all those things are in our DNA. So when you do come back, as I did, when I came back, I rooted myself so deep because I knew what it was like to not be here for so long. And so I cherish it and I hold it to me and I'm not too keen on the idea of running away from it. My body literally is designed to live among these cypresses. to everyone who contributed to this episode and who have shown me and hopefully you about the power of coming back into our bodies, honouring your roots, connecting vehemently to place and taking the time to understand where you are. Thank you to Jared for sharing so much. You can find more of her wisdom on the Low Lines website. That's low-lines.com and to Jared's favorite band, the Truth Brass Band for the music, and to the old and new style fellas Social Aid and Pleasure Club for the parade I recorded at, and for everyone that took a moment to talk with me in between catching the beat, to AJ, Keisha, Paula, Joe, Stanley, Ducky, Harold, Tana, Herman, Charles. Thanks for listening. Low Lines was created and recorded by me, Petra Barron, produced, edited, and sound designed by Lucia Scazzocchio at Social Broadcasts, and executive produced by Lena Presswood at Scenery Studios. The original score is by Hannah Marshall, with mixing by Yabina Tinnemans. The show artwork was created by David Masher. Next time on Low Lines.
when I take a boat through there, my GPS, which I bought the software five years ago, on the screen, you're driving over land. If you're just looking at the screen, you go to turn, and then you realize it's just 10,000 acres of open water now instead of marsh. Join me as I drive down south from New Orleans to Plaquemines Parish, Louisiana.